You're listening to the Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Get ready to be inspired as we explore provocative topics surrounding innovative technologies and ideas with top industry professionals, digital entrepreneurs, and provocateurs. At Impetus Digital, we believe that everything starts with a conversation. We aspire to act as the bridge to not only ignite these courageous conversations, but to also sustain them over time. We do this through our Insight platform, which features our award-winning Insight events and Insight Touchpoint solutions, and through these fireside chats. In the end, our hope is to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Natalie Eden. CEO and co-founder of Impetus Digital, an all-in-one, fully-serviced virtual collaboration and communication solution for online meetings, events, conferences, and advisory boards for life science companies. Hi, everybody. My name is Natalie Yeadon. I'm the CEO and co-founder with Impetus Digital. At Impetus Digital, we have built some of the bestest in-class asynchronous and synchronous virtual collaboration and communication tools. We have worked with life science companies from across the globe over the past 14 years to help them with everything from virtual advisory boards, online medical education, virtual investigator meetings, and since the launch of our award-winning Insight Events platform, we've also been helping pharma companies with innovation hackathons, MSL and sales rep training, corporate events, and everything in between. But more importantly at Impetus, we really believe that everything starts with a conversation. And from some of these big, hairy, audacious conversations with some of the leading edge thinkers, digital provocateurs, and healthcare thought leaders, we could all work together to collectively and positively disrupt healthcare. So I'm super excited about having some of these healthcare thought leaders with me at the table today. So I'd like to first of all introduce you to Devorah Richler. She's actually the head of Roche's flagship innovation program that they're calling Soaring with Roche. This is actually a community-driven open innovation program that reimagines the future of health and healthcare specifically in Canada, and also helping to redefine what healthcare actually means, as well as to help accelerate disruptive innovation to build the future that we all deserve. Her focus for the last six and plus years has been really on fostering and leveraging strategic partnerships with everything from officials, decision makers, health tech startups, other sectors and subject matter experts at the political, bureaucratic and institutional levels, as well as to help co-create some of the solutions that will help to support sustainable healthcare for the long-term, as well as to help improve patient outcomes. I'd also like to introduce to you Michael Duong. He's an experienced professional, professional and a senior leader in the pharmaceutical and biotechnology industry. He has held roles in scientific and clinical research and development, pharmaceutical consulting, health economics and outcomes research, medical affairs leadership, as well as personalized healthcare. He is currently the head of innovation at Hof- Hoffman LaRoche across the pharmaceuticals, diagnostics, and diabetes care divisions. Welcome, Devorah and Michael. So happy to have you on the show today. Thanks for having us, Natalie. I have to say, when I first learned about this soaring with Roche, first of all, the title is awesome. Um, But more importantly, what an exciting place to be at a pharmaceutical company. It sort of feels like the sky's the limit. I think what probably a lot of our listeners would probably want to, first of all, hear is 
How did you get into such a, um, a great position? Tell us a little bit about your career trajectories and how you landed in this really exciting place at Roche. Maybe we can start with you, um, Michael, uh, Michael, and then we can actually move to you, Devorah. Yeah, sure. Um, so, so thanks for that. Thanks for the great welcome. Um, I won't go too far back into history, um, but, but maybe one step before this current role. Um, as you indicated, um, I was previously head of personalized healthcare uh, for, for Roche within the pharmaceutical um, division. Um, and what that really meant was, you know, at Roche, we've been, we've been constantly innovating um, our own identity and how we deliver healthcare to uh, patients and what it really means for Roche to be a company that isn't a pharmaceutical company, but it's a company focused on delivering outcomes to patients, delivering healthcare to patients. And so, um, you know, over the last five or so years, we had really been thinking about the personalization of healthcare and what does that really mean? And we really took the philosophy of true personalization, going beyond just treating diseases, but treating people. So thinking about people, where they are, their environment, their ecosystem, the social determinants of their health, um, and addressing all of those factors, because we know that all of those factors actually add up to be more, um, uh, they're bigger factors in health outcomes than just a drug alone. Um, and so th that really led me on this, what we call this open-ended innovation journey to really think about that philosophy and what does Roche need to do? What does Roche need to become to be a true personalized healthcare company? Um, and, and, you know, with that, the field of creativity, the field of creation was completely open to us. Uh, Devorah, she'll go into her story, but join me on that journey mm -hmm. to ultimately, you know, create the Roche that we are today. Um, and that's what led to sort of this role that we have, which is create the Roche that will be here tomorrow. So that's a bit of it. Absolutely love it. Devorah, how about yourself? Um, <clears throat> so I've been in the industry for probably too long. Um, Mike and I have been working together for at least seven, seven years, I would say. Um, and we did work together in the personalized healthcare space. Um, I left, left the nest briefly to go uh, do a, a, a global rotation. And what I really missed about being at global was being closer to the people who we are actually providing healthcare for. Um, so I couldn't wait to come back to Canada and, and dig my fingers into something else. And when Mike um, came up with this idea and this opportunity, I thought, I can't say no, because this is something really exciting where we can bring all of the great things that we're trying to do at Roche into the, into the public domain, really for open conversations and, and to innovate on innovate even more on what we're already doing, but with the help of other people. And I just thought, it, you know, it's something when you mentioned disruption, Natalie, in your introduction, open innovation is not something that pharma typically does. So this is quite disruptive for our industry and very, very different. And, and we're learning a lot along the way and we're learning every day. Um, so that's what brought me back. That's why I'm here. And of course, helping to make our healthcare system better is important for all of us because we're all going to be patients one day and, and we can do a lot now before we become patients to prevent that or push that off. And so I'm very passionate about that. Absolutely. When we think about the traditional pharmaceutical company, it oftentimes felt very insular. They were gigantic companies. They were global. 
um, lots of affiliates across the globe, but the, the, the research and development, the innovation felt very insulated. It felt, um, you know, and it felt very chemically oriented that there was a drug, that there was a chemical, there was a biologic or a small molecule that was being developed and then manufactured and marketed. Tell us a little bit about the, the rationale or what has changed in the global health ecosystem to inspire Roche to go down a road that really does not feel very traditional as a pharmaceutical company. Maybe we can start with you, Michael, and we can get your perspective as well, Deborah. Yeah, I, I think it, you know, we've always been sort of a company that valued the outside perspective and external innovation. Um, when you look at 50% of actually our pipeline, 50% of our assets, they're driven from external innovations coming from academic researchers and so on and so forth. But I think that inflection point that's really changed and shifted our identity away from our colleagues in the industry was really this, this, this um, turning towards personalized healthcare. When, when we went towards personalized healthcare, we saw that health solutions were not just a drug. They weren't just, you know, data. They weren't just devices. They were everything. So they were integrated health solutions that worked with each other. Um, to ultimately synergize and deliver the most health outcomes that we could deliver to patients. Um, and that what that meant was we needed to bring in external partners more holistically to co-create integrated health solutions with them. Now, we're not going to be the experts in every single discipline that's required to maximize outcomes for patients. And that's where, you know, we started looking at external innovation more holistically as a business practice and leading towards an entirely open innovation, which which Devorah is trying to build uh, for for Roche as a business practice today. What are your thoughts, Devorah? This is uh, you know based on what Michael just shared. Um, <clears throat> I, I agree with everything he said. I guess what I think Roche had been making some moves uh, in the past five or so years that that signaled that we maybe weren't weren't just going to be thinking about medicines and diagnostics anymore. We made a couple of acquisitions of some uh, big data companies and a genomic sequencing company. And, and so you could sort of see the direction that we were going in and we're starting to move into digital health with big investments in those spaces and the creation of all of these uh, remote monitoring solutions and things like that. Um, and so the, the potential just keeps growing. Uh, but I think it, you know, this is not the pharma of the past where you pharma companies would launch a huge blockbuster drug and make millions or billions of dollars and 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 those drugs would go out to a blanket population. This is this, you know, we are moving towards personalized healthcare and things are changing and and bundling up or packaging up things into a solution where there's multiple offerings that would help support the patient or the person just makes sense. So it, I think it's a logical next place to go. Um, the open innova innovation piece of it is just sort of, that's the disruptive piece, I think, where we're, we're pushing the envelope a little bit um, on, uh, on, on the how. Absolutely. So many exciting things, um, I guess, on the precipice of what you're working on um, with your program. And I guess one of the things that really kind of comes to mind right now is we're thinking specifically about starting in Canada, but I'm sure a lot of the things that you're going to work on will probably have global implications. But just sort of starting off with some of the things that have been in the news recently, and that is 
the impact that COVID-19 has had on healthcare in general, specifically on waiting times. We're hearing about the backlog of surgeries. There's so much misfortune. We're hearing a lot about, you know, um, medical tourism and people having to go get hip replacements in Lithuania and all these other things that are happening. And so this idea of waiting for healthcare is a very pronounced and important thing for a lot of Canadians. And if they haven't been hit or somebody that they know, it may be something that would be in their in their future. Tell us a little bit around what sort um, what your program um, with Soaring with Roche is thinking and saying around this very important topic. Starting with you, Michael. Yeah, um, I, I do just want to check because there's been some comments about the microphone levels. Is that better? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Apologies. I should have checked that at, at the beginning. Um, I think one of the most important things that we want to inspire with Soaring with Roche is this, um, let's call it this, this relearning of how we solve problems within the healthcare system or, and, and take it one step further to relearn what the actual root cause of the problem is. A lot of times we jump into um, the symptoms of a problem, similar to treating diseases, we jump into the symptoms and we address the symptoms. And yet the underlying root cause of the actual problem isn't addressed or, or from the perspective of the actual user, it's not even addressed at all. Um, so one thing that, that Soaring is trying to do is shift the perspective to be much more human centered. Um, we know waiting for healthcare is a big system burden, um, lots of resource issues, lots of resource uh, problems as they relate to the system of delivering healthcare. Um, but what is waiting for healthcare? Like, why is it detrimental for patients? And what, you know, can we do to one, shorten wait times would be the ultimate solution. But if that's not possible, how do we make waiting not detrimental? How do we make it productive? Is there things that we can do? Can we deliver solutions? Can we deliver uh, alternatives, opportunities for the waiting period to contribute positively to health outcomes? And, and this, this speaks a little bit to the open field of innovative ideas that we want to nurture in Soaring with Roche is, yeah, if people have a solution and they wanna come and they wanna, they wanna nurture that idea that will shorten wait times, we're all for that. But if they also wanna say, we can't shorten wait times, but, but we can actually make waiting a positive benefit, um, maybe add education programs, maybe add other things, um, then we'd be all for that as well. And Deborah, what's your thoughts as well? I mean, I, you know, especially as it relates to things like late diagnosis, especially mm -hmm. very important things like rare disorders, onc oncologic situations, cancers, um, What's your thoughts around some of those innovations for this waiting period for people? Uh, the, the co so there, I think there's a bunch of issues. One of them is all of the delays as a result of COVID. And I've actually, people in my family have suffered and had delayed diagnoses because of COVID. So I, I see that as a huge issue. I personally just waited six months for an MRI uh, for, you know, to find out that I had a herniated disc, which I knew about six months ago, but I had to wait for that confirmation, you know. Um, one, of the, one of the questions we, we're asking ourselves is, what would you rather be doing than waiting? And, and we're hoping that that helps get, helps get us a little bit closer to that human-centeredness of this and what we could actually do to make things better. Um, the backlog is, is not 
the backlog is something that needs to be solved by a bunch of people together. And that's, again, really well aligned with the Soaring with Roche vision, which is to bring people together to solve these problems together. And we think part of the reason why we have these massive wait times is that people have been trying to solve these problems in silos. And by bringing them to get, bringing people together, bringing ideas together, elevating ideas that are already out there, we think we can make some, you know, some big improvements in, in the way we're working and thinking and doing. I want to try and make this tangible for, for our audience. So one example of a you know, a simple app that, that we've tossed around an idea about is Uber, Ubering health. So what if, you know, you could actually have an app in your hand that would tell you, you could tell your doctor's office that I'm coming by foot or by subway or by bus or by car, and they could tell you when to leave your house based on how many, how, what's the backlog in their waiting room or what's the surgical situation in the hospital or whatever. So you're, you're technically not, you're, you're still waiting for that appointment, but you're not waiting in a waiting room full of other sick people waiting, you know, sitting around getting more and more angry and irritated and anxious. Um, so that's one thing. Another idea is, you know, to use virtual reality to help people visualize their appointment before they get there. So two or three days before you go for that first hospital visit or something that you might be super anxious about, you can actually put this headset on and see what your journey is going to be and understand where to go. And so it's, again, we haven't eliminated a waiting time per se, but we've made it more productive and eliminated some of the detrimental aspects of that waiting for those people. I think we have to go one step further resource wise to figure out how we can actually really, you know, solve for these backlog issues but that's going to take some time. And obviously when you talked, when you spoke before about Canadian issues that are also global, this is one of them. This is an issue that is also global and has um, gotten a lot worse because of COVID. So what can we learn from our, from other countries and other jurisdictions? And hopefully the conversations through Soaring will help us learn uh, what's going on elsewhere. Beautiful initiative. When you talk about global, another global issue is the aging society. I mean, we're hearing about, you know, the age that's the aging that's going on in China, Japan, North America. There's very few countries that have this bolus of, of younger people coming through the system. And as a result, there is a big impact on healthcare in general. And, and more specifically, this whole idea of how we're handling the aged and, and, and again, that, that impact that it's gonna have directly on healthcare resources. I think we also have to ask ourselves the question of the impact that COVID-19 has had. And now there's been a lot of focus and lens on what is happening with people in their senior years. So I'm curious, Michael, from your perspective, is this another big chunky issue that Canadians and potentially like globally that, that, need, that there needs to be some innovation around? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think the first thing I would say is that like, if you go onto our website and you look at the five big challenge areas that sort of that, that actually the community identified with us. So, so we didn't go into this saying we know what the big challenge areas are. We asked our community, uh, which, which were Canadians and, and were also um, uh, international uh, experts and non-experts within the healthcare system. Uh, we all work together to identify these challenges. So they will resonate for Canadians and they will also resonate for the global international community. Um, 
I think aging for sure, as you, as you said, it's a big chunky challenge for everybody. It's, it's, um, you know, uh, there is going to be a huge bolus, um, of, of the age population that's going to go into it. The interesting thing is we're working through it right now, digging into some of the potential opportunities where we can innovate, um, around some of these challenges. And, and we're working with some great people who are helping us identify that, you know, a lot of what we think about of aging is, um, I forget how they put it, but, but basically it's preconceived, um, preconceived notions of, of aging. And if we reframe the aged population and we relook at, you know, what we can do, what we can work, how we can leverage experience, wisdom, and, and, you know, those, those assets that, that these populations bring, we can certainly find solutions within this population. Um, and it's not like, it's not like the young people solving for the older people. It's not like somebody else solving for them, but, but it is bringing, bringing them into the solution, bringing us into the solution. And it, it really sort of speaks to this community led approach that we have in Soaring with Roche. Um, same thing we do with, with, you know, everything we do for patients is with patients at Roche. So um, I, I think it's the same here. Um, we don't have any solutions yet, obviously, uh, as soon as we launch uh, Soaring with Roche and, and we bring those solutions in, um, those solutions will be made transparent. Everyone can see the work that we as a community are all working together, but we've been doing all, quite a bit of work on reframing the problem. I love that you said that, Michael, because what you said is so important. And there's probably a scientific piece to this of not only the reframing it philosophically, but potentially reframing it scientifically. There's people like David Sinclair and Aubrey de Grey who actually think that aging is almost like a, it's like a disease and that could potentially be circumvented or prevented. Everything from telomere shortening to, um, you know, uh, you know, all, all sorts of things when you're actually talking about genetic, um, you know, like there's all sorts of scientific reasons of, of why somebody may start to age and that becomes a precluding to all kinds of other diseases. So I'm curious on that note, Devorah, like knowing that there may be a scientific way, what sorts of innovations are you looking for? Would it be apps or other kinds of ways to sort of um, point at the, at the problem? It's a great question. Um, I'm going to start with a stat that might um, shock and frighten you or, or our audience, but a study just came out of Stanford um, that shows that 50% of the kids who are currently five years old in the United States will likely live to be 100 right now. So kids who are five years old right now, and I, I think we could probably extrapolate the similar kind of uh, forecast for our country, right? So 50%, that's a huge number. My second part of my story is my dad. My own dad is 96 years old. He lives alone at home. He makes all his own meals. He drives his own car. He takes care of all of his errands. He's pretty self-sufficient. And this week he had a health scare. And it just so happened, or last week, I guess, I, it just so happened I was there and you know we were able to work through it. But he, the, the secret to his success right now, he's living and aging in place. And I think that's one of the things we need to look at for um, our current senior population is how do we help them stay home longer if that's what they want, rather than you know following this old model of pushing people into long-term care or into another facility. 
another thing we're looking at, um, the team tackling aging powerfully wants to design the hundred year life of the future and figure out which are the diseases and, and not just diseases, but the things that happen to you that aren't a disease, but they're happening because you're aging. What are those things on that timeline that we can map out and solve for? So I think what we're gonna find out, Adley, is a lot of it is about prevention. And so we, we see that there are multiple groups in this aging powerfully um, challenge area where we want to work on solutions. So there's the aging and living in place, there's the middle age people like me, how do we extend our middle age and live, you know, live better longer and then for my kids people who are my kids age how do i get them to start thinking about prevention now so that you know the aches and pains that you get after age 70 aren't just assumed you know they they don't have to be aches and pains after 70 maybe they're at 80 because you've done all of these things to prevent them from happening. So it, it, this one's, I think, one of the most interesting out of the five challenge areas because it's so broad and there's so many areas to sort of play in and explore. And it's so profound about what we've just talked about here with the waiting for healthcare and then the aging in place or just aging in general, because really one of the things I'm hearing is kind of the underlying in all of this is this idea of going to a much more proactive wellness Poor, a way to deal with healthcare as opposed to this reactive sickness care model. So it feels like Soaring with Roche is really trying to push this new model and it's going to hit so many different key areas in it. And so I think with all of that, I guess a, a question also has to do with the way we are evolving with this and this feeling of fairness in the healthcare place is that if we're moving into this area, is this going to be done equitably? Mm-hmm. Are the solutions that we come up with, will they be available to everybody across Canada? Can, can people afford them? And more importantly, things like diagnostics and biomarkers and genetics, um, is this going to feel fair to people? So I'm curious, Michael, on this whole thing around, I don't know, I guess you guys have termed it health justice. Is, is there going to be a fairness in the delegation of this wellness care for the greater population in the future? What's your thoughts there? Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. Health justice, health equity. Uh, health justice is sort of the challenge area that encompasses health equity for us uh, within Soaring. But, you know, ultimately, when you think about Roche as a company and you think about the the products that, that we strive to deliver as a pharmaceutical company obviously we're targeted towards that disease care illness care uh that what we call the last mile of the health journey um and and we specialize in late stage uh extremely um severe uh diseases with with huge unmet need just because no one else is working in this area we've taken that challenge on and and you can imagine that you know that's that's not broad that that's not fully equitable um not that that's by design but it's just that it's not needed by everybody um and and we've targeted that population i think that's where you know when you look at equity and health justice you start seeing um if you move further down to the towards the first mile of healthcare, if you if you look across the entire if you stop looking at disease care and you look at healthcare, well care uh as a journey and you start as early as possible, those are some of the solutions where you can implement equity, health justice, 
in by design and, and make it available to everybody. When you think about some of our challenges in health literacy, for example, um, and we deploy that in the first mile, in first mile companies, so first mile health companies, uh, first mile policies like education policy, when you bring it to, you know, if, if you start healthcare education in kindergarten um, and, and we, at least in Canada, um, access to education is equitable um, for everybody. And if we can deploy some of those solutions there, then we can certainly address it. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, is justice becomes an underlying uh, principle across all of our solutions to strive for equitable access to any of the solutions that we have where we can, where we can achieve that. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's what we challenge the community to come with solutions uh, to soaring with as well. Wow, lots of great points there, Michael. You could probably spend hours on every one of those, but it does actually, you know, as I think about the word justice, I mean, there's, that's such a broad term and there's so much there. And as I'm starting to think about the complexities that we're getting into things like genotyping and genetic testing and um, in all of these things around diagnostics, biohacking, people sort of getting in and the N equals one and kind of wearing, you know, using these wearables and using ambient biometrics to study themselves over time. I'm just curious about the impact of people's concern from a bioethics standpoint. And this question is really for you, Deborah, is that do we ultimately have concerns around what this data and this information may do for people's opportunity in their jobs or for getting health insurance and other kinds of fears? Is, are we kind of getting into this global world of information where suddenly it puts people at a place of injustice? What's your thoughts there? So it's a great question. Um, the first thing I would say is we do have legislation in place that Prime Minister Trudeau actually put in place that does protect people from, um, from that private insurance situation that you mentioned where they could be rejected for insurance because of a pre-existing pre condition or something that they've done with their, you know, they've done their genetic sequencing, 23andMe, for example, and they're afraid that their company might find out that they might be predisposed to something. So there is legislation in place that is not an issue in Canada. Um, the, the, data, the data sharing, I would invite you to consider that what's more, what, uh, an equally important question to ask is what is, the, what is the impact and outcome if we don't get better at sharing data? We saw, you know, with COVID is another great example of where um, we just didn't know how COVID itself would, uh, would show up in different races, for example. It did, it did end up being different in different races, and maybe vaccines would have uh, reacted differently in different kinds of people. And we don't know enough about that. We don't know enough because we aren't doing a good enough job sharing data. I this is something that I often say, um, our privacy laws in Canada were written before the iPhone was invented. I'm just gonna let that sit for a second with you. <laughs> before the iPhone was invented. We should be updating our privacy laws because there is technology and, and other things that exist today that help us keep our data safe and secure while we're able to leverage the insights from the data. And that's really what's important. The data itself, 
the data is the data. It's what you do with the data. It's what you learn from the data and it's what you pull out of the data and act on. Uh, and that's what we're, so data sharing is one of our uh, challenge areas within Soaring with Roche. I'm sure you can see how closely tied it is to both equity and literacy. Uh, frankly, it's tied to all of them. It's, uh, it's an enabler of all of them and it's an enabler of better health and it's an enabler of a better and more sustainable healthcare system. And it, it behooves us all to get on board, uh, every single province and territory to get on board and figure out how we're gonna make this happen because we are so far behind uh, some of our uh, you know, European countries and the Nordic countries, especially. Um, in fact, if you look to uh, Denmark is a great example of a country that has figured this out. They have come together public and private with government funding to figure out this data piece. And they are often referenced as one of the best healthcare systems in the world. And that is what we should be striving for. I, I just wanna comment also, um, someone named Sharon Lee has been asking some excellent questions and saying some really interesting things in the chat. And so Sharon, come join the Soaring with Roche uh, website. Please sign up so that we can stay in touch with you. Because um, this is exactly the kind of community participation we're, we're trying to uh, encourage through Soaring with Roche. Beautiful, absolutely. Um, so many amazing, wonderful things. Again, I have to congratulate Roche for taking a, a very courageous role and doing something that's out of the norm for what your business model is and making money on chemical, you know, entities, biologics. You know, this is a really courageous move in changing the business model and what it means to be providing healthcare. And, you know, it sort of really is asking this question in a, in a bigger way is, you know, what does this, what is this world going to look like and how are we partnering and this whole data piece? I mean, it's, there's a lot packed in there and, you know, thinking about the Canadian issues specifically, I'm just thinking about oncology, you know, we have these data sets sitting in these beautiful little, um, you know, packets in, in various cancer agencies and different provinces and, you know, there's so much um, beautiful information in there to be shared for population health management and prediction and analytics and prevention. And there seems to be a lot of legacy infrastructure frameworks thinking. How do you get past this in such a when it's such a complex issue and there's so much mired in that infrastructure? How do you start dis dismantling dismantling that Jenga block? and building something new? Where do you start, Michael? Wow, that's a big question, Natalie. Um, and one that Devorah and I, Devorah said, you know, she and I have been working together for the past seven years. Well, we've actually been working together for the past seven years exactly on this problem. Um, this issue of, of fragmented, distributed, siloed data sets that exist across, it's not just oncology, but almost every therapeutic area you, you can imagine within the healthcare system is, uh, has this problem. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to take the light away from Soaring with Roche because we definitely have sort of, we want to inspire a different perspective at coming at this problem. We want to think about some of the potential community-led solutions that could, that, that could solve um, this issue of the legacy data infrastructure, which you put it so well, um, and how we come about sharing data in a completely different way. Um, but there is work, you know, that is currently happening. Um, we we co-founded an organization called the Canadian Personalized Healthcare Innovation Network, uh, CPHIN, so CFIN. Um, and that's the exact goal of CFIN is to bring 
stakeholders together. This includes governments, non-government, private sector, public sector, uh, academics, uh, data stewards, um, and to bring everyone together to not necessarily create new infrastructure, uh, but to connect uh, current infrastructure together so that we do have seemingly a single data set uh, across uh, all of Canada. We are working in oncology uh, and the first uh, sort of therapeutic area that, that we see connected data um, is, is in that oncology space. Now, what I would say is that there are a lot of other organizations working on this problem in other therapeutic areas. Uh, heart disease is another area that's connecting uh, data uh, quite significantly. The rare disorders organizations, um, Durhan, who, who actually supports soaring, um, is also uh, working on, on this. And so when we all come together, ultimately that's gonna be the grand solution, the great build of, of can, the Canadian data infrastructure. Now, I think there's a lot of progress that can happen in those uh, efforts. Uh, and those organizations are certainly working, our, us included, on some of these solutions. They're coming from, quote unquote, the right stakeholders, the right places. Soaring is almost about disrupting that and leapfrogging some of that progress. That's gonna be a slow slog. Soaring is about challenging the community to say, we know what everyone's doing in this space. Let's see how we can disrupt it. We have no, we have no ideas. We have no um, biases towards any of the current solutions that are happening right now. We're totally open to disrupting this. And that's where if the community has solutions, we'd love them to come out and, and talk about that with us. Bora, what's your thoughts on this very complex and, and convoluted situation around, um, yeah, like data, data packs, data information that's kind of locked in certain areas that nobody's getting access to? It, uh, so I'll start by saying it's extremely frustrating to me. It has been for quite some time. The, the year that I spent um, reporting into our global organization was working on data policy. And... Um, I was both in, inspired by what's going on in Europe, but also a little bit embarrassed about how far behind we are in Canada when looking at what's going on in Europe. The thing is, is we don't need to reinvent the wheel. It's been done. It's been done by other countries. And so what's stopping us from just learning from those other countries? Um, Mike mentioned disruption a few times, and I think there is some element of disruption that has to happen to really kick every kick everybody in the bum, frankly, and, and get us going on putting this thing together. But it's been done. It's been done. It can be done. We just need to learn those best practices and, and, and adopt them and scale them. And so that's another thing about short, soaring with Roche isn't necessarily always looking to invent the next best thing. We would like to scale what's already out there if what's already out there is good. So if there's something out there that can be brought into the soaring platform and, and maybe it's the soaring platform and the connections through the platform that help elevate that work or scale that work or really share it as a best practice, that's great. Then that's a role that Soaring with Roche can play. Really, we just wanna get it going. We wanna get it happening. And so however we can do that is, is, is what we wanna do. Because this one is, this one is critically important. It, it, Again, it's an enabler for everything, everything else. It all starts with the data. Data is the new gold. There's probably a lot of people listening to this who are probably trying to figure out what is this platform? What is this soaring? Is it a thing? Is it a building? Is it a, is it a online chat room? 
Um, you know, is it uh, an incubator or, you know, some group that you're sort of building startup companies? So I was wondering if you could, you know, we think when you hear the word, we want to involve the community. Community is huge. Is You know, there's are opportunities for healthcare associations and organizations, um, patient advocacy teams and groups. There's payers, patients, you know, allied healthcare providers, physicians, and the list goes on. Um, Tell us a little bit about what this thing that's soaring, um, is it a physical entity? Is it a, is, it a, is it a thought experiment? How do people learn more about it and what exactly happens um, to get ideas, uh, like you said, scaled? Do you want me to go first or Mike? We'll start with Mike and then we'll, we'll go with you so far. Sorry, just to keep the, the loop yeah. here. No, and I won't say too much because because Devor has really taken this um, and and you know run with it. Um, but and and it's funny enough that that all of us working on soaring right now, both inside of Roche and outside of Roche, we all sort of have our own definitions of what soaring is. And so Devor has actually tasked us with coming up with a thirty second description pitch of what soaring is and recording that. Um, and, and seeing how different the definitions are. So this is a bit of mine. Um, but for me, Soaring is a community. Um, and we call it the platform. We call it all these different things. But Soaring is actually the community. There is going to be a digital online platform that will support the community. It will be where people can come. They can converse. They can collaborate. They can network with each other, they can put their minds together to solve some of these challenges and, and come up with the ideas. Yes. And on, on that platform, we will offer, you know, training programs, webinars, and, and these sorts of things that inspire people to come at things with a different perspective, teach human centricity, teach design thinking uh, with our partners um, and, and offer that. But at the end of the day, it's all in service to the community because the solutions are gonna come from an engaged and active community that has the freedom to create and come up with solutions. And that's all we want with Soaring um, is, is really let's activate the community to come together. It's not, it's not you know, Roche is only a member of the community uh, and we've committed to building this thing that will support the community, but that community has to come together to build what soaring is. Soaring is nothing if the community doesn't join us. Lovely, well said. Devora, what's your thoughts? What is soaring? So I call soaring a movement. And I think it's about, it's about, it, again, I agree with Mike, it's really centered in the community. What I've, what, what many organizations do to this day or have done in the past is come up with a really, what they think is a really cool idea, make a team, go build whatever that solution is, and then tie a bow on it and offer it up to people. And those people generally say, I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. You're solving the wrong problem. Get lost. And so I think the whole, really the whole goal of bringing the community in, not just for the idea, ideation part, not to, not to tell us what the problems are and then maybe give us their lived experience and an idea for how to solve it. But it's about validating all of the things that we hear and ongoing validation. And that's what the soaring community through this movement will allow us to do. Is this really the right place to start? You know, are we gonna have a bigger impact if we start here or start there? Help us prioritize. 
And so there is this really strong role for members of the community to come in and tell us, tell us what you think, tell us what you want, tell us what you know. Um, so it's centered around people, not patients. That's another important thing for me is this is not about patients. It is, but it's also about people. It's, it's really about everybody because there is going to be a well care, you know, slant to a lot of this stuff. And well care is about staying well and not becoming a patient, hopefully, or pushing that off. Um, the platform itself, like just to eliminate any confusion, there will be an online forum where people can engage. And for us, we want it to be the one-stop shopping for healthcare innovation. If you have an idea, you bring it to Soaring. If you have lived experience, bring it to Soaring. Maybe somebody can help you solve for that. We want it to be, you know, this place where people come together. I hesitate to say social media for health, but really, you know, a community of practice, if you will. So uh, hopefully close to the end of May, beginning of June, we will launch that, that uh, engagement piece of the puzzle. And that's when the, the really good conversations are going to start, uh, start happening. Right now we're having them on the sides, but we really want to make that, uh, that forum ready to go for people to uh, flock to, hopefully. Yeah, I am so excited about it. I think it's a brilliant initiative from a pharmaceutical company, and I do think it's very courageous. And again, just to think about the possibilities, especially around the interoperability issue that presides over everything. So besides the disjointed information, it's how that information can't bridge because we don't have you know, a good feeling for interoperability and even some of the newer technologies like blockchain. So um, I'm very excited about it. So this is fantastic. So we could probably talk for hours about every one of these core areas. I'm personally very excited to see when you launch Soaring online, start these discussions, Maybe we'll have you come back and start sharing some of the success stories of what Roche is doing with the community. So I think we're probably just going to end it there. Um, I am actually encouraging anybody who is interested in this, please follow Devorah, Michael, and the team and check out, I think we were, it was posted here, but it also is in the show notes below, contact information for both of them and also the website for you to check out. Um, and as soon as it actually is launched, you can start participating in this forum. If you like this conversation, we also encourage you to check out impetusdigital.com. This is precisely the kind of thing that we do as people are building programs, innovations, having these courageous discussions about things that matter. We work with all kinds of different stakeholders asynchronously and synchronously to build and to come up with new programs and ideas um, in small cohorts and groups of people. And that we'd encourage you to check out Impetus. Um, perhaps for any of these things that come up in the discussions, you can actually start to to work on something uh, as a solid plan. So thank you to all of you for your time. We encourage you to like and subscribe to this channel. Also leave us some feedback on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thank you again. And Devorah and Michael, so much luck to you. This is a fantastic program and really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you for listening to this Healthcare Goes Digital podcast. Impetus Digital are the business-to-business -business virtual engagement experts and provide immersive virtual collaboration and communication solutions for advisory boards, medical education meetings, events, conferences, and projects worldwide, all delivered with our award-winning white glove service. Visit us at impetusdigital.com or book a demo at meetwithimpetus.com to find out more. And visit us on our LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube channel to see other inspiring conversations for you to share with your network.